The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. You've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand-up comedy? You want stand-up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit-down comedy. It's time for Coffee with a Dog. You make me laugh. Oh my goodness, do I make you laugh? Not today. Well, hopefully, at some point. But not right now. I'm loving the fan. The house fan. The Glen Face Glen Face Van. Kicking ass. A little bit of rush rip off, but it's rocking out. Love the man. I wish they had enjoyed something. Good morning, folks. It's Friday, July 14th, 2023. Uh, we got a good show for you today. Mike Binder. If you don't know Mike Binder, you probably, uh, the, why are you even watching or listening to this program? Uh, he's got an incredible body of work and uh, look forward to talking to him, to him about. A lot of things, including uh, censorship and comedy, and maybe we'll touch on this uh, strike deal that's going on now. Two strikes, writers and actors, uh, plus a whole lot of other things. Uh, And then in hour two, Eddie Brill, and we'll be talking about uh, Eddie's workshop that's coming up on uh, Monday in Southampton. And then he's going to be uh, headlining the new club, Sticks and Stones Comedy uh, which just opened up in uh, Southampton, New York, and we'll be talking to him about that and a whole lot more. Breaking news today, which is kind of rocked my world. If you've um, if you paid attention to me for the last uh, forty years, <laughs> at least the last fifteen years, I've uh, been on this uh, Gilgo Beach murders thing, uh, and, and I'm surprised that most people have not really, uh, with all the Netflix uh, and and so much uh, concentration and focus on true crime stories. The Gilgo Beach murders uh, have not gotten a lot of publicity. Uh, if you know me and you've heard, you've heard my uh, comments on it, I have thought for a long time uh, that our former uh, police chief was directly involved. I still think he's probably involved, but they have a, a suspect in custody finally yesterday They have not released the name, although a lot of people being irresponsible on Twitter uh, are putting out information about the person, putting his name and photo on online, which is a little 
irresponsible because the police have not released it officially yet. And it, God forbid they're wrong, uh, like the uh, um, Olympic bomber case. Uh, and that guy, you know, what's his name? Richard Jewell uh, spent years trying to live that down because people rushed to put him in the spotlight. Uh, big, big breaking news here. I mean, guys from Massapequa Park, New York. If you don't know about Massapequa Park, here's a list of some people off the top of my head that are from Massapequa uh, and Massapequa Park. Jerry Seinfeld, Alec Baldwin, Steve Gutenberg, the Stray Cats, Larry Miller. There's a bunch more. I could go on and on, I think. But uh, you get the point. A lot. It's a small town. A lot of famous people from it. This guy is not a famous person. If, according to the picture of the house where the cops were last night, just uh, I'm surprised to to hear that they've actually taken somebody into custody because it seemed like a cold case for so long, and we were pushing for them to keep on it. Apparently, DNA has led to the uh, arrest. This is an interesting story for me. Probably not where you are. You probably don't give a damn about it anyway uh in um other <laughs> other breaking news the uh sag astra has gone on strike and fran dresher man she's uh, a year or two older than me she looks like she's 30 at least from the news <laughs> news uh clips that i saw a remarkable woman uh she's very animated listen <laughs> I know this is not her aspiration, but the way she delivered her speech yesterday it was pretty heartfelt. And, it, you know, um, that's what you look for in a leader. Authentic, going off script and coming from the heart, not really reading from, you know, a communications memo that the organization put out. Here's the thing with the uh, SAG after and the writer's strike. Hollywood and Mike. Mike Binder will definitely uh, have some uh, better insight into this than I do. But Hollywood is changing. Uh, you know, studios are, have always been greedy. But a lot, of, a lot of films are now independent films. A lot of productions are independent. Still, the ones that you're going to hear about, the ones that are become mainstream with big marketing dollars behind them are run by the studios. But as we've seen, you know what? I'm not sure this greed, and they've always been greedy and always been uh, using, you know, what they call Hollywood accounting uh, to make films that actually were quite successful look like they lost money. That greed could end up eventually coming back, and maybe this is the time to actually bite the system in the ass because, I don't know, it, it ends up coming down to the, the bottom line is, you know, the consumers end up paying for all this stuff. And how much do people, working class people, really care about millionaires and billionaires and their issues? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, oh, good morning. We have some people in, in the chat room already. Uh, for, for I stand with the nanny, Craig's. <laughs> uh Robert uh, Taylor saying uh, his his brother-in-law lives in Massapequa. I don't think it's your brother-in-law, Robert. I think you're safe. I do. When I first heard the news this morning, I, I got a little uh, odd feeling in my gut that I might know this person. Uh, as you know, most of my beach gigs are 
in close pro proximity to where a lot of the um, bodies were found. And I was playing, I know I was playing at Cedar Beach uh, on the nights where some of them were discovered. Uh, so, you know, it, it, that area, it wouldn't be, I would not be shocked to find it out it was some of my, one of my fans or one of the band's fans, I should say, not my fan, my personal fan. Uh, I would not be shocked, but there was a, a sinking feeling this morning that I might actually know this person. And I hope I don't. I hope it turns out, I hope it turns out to be the guy that people are actually posting pictures of instead of uh, somebody else, because I hope they're not wrong about that. Uh, and some people are saying James Burke is, is definitely the killer. They're still on that. Uh, I don't think uh, that anymore. I believed that for a long time, but I don't think this rules out Burke's direct involvement in the case. Anyway, I'm going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, we're going to meet uh, the aforementioned Mike Binder, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, comedy, influence, censorship, and all those kinds of things. We'll be right back. Hey, yeah, mind dog, yeah, yeah, mind dog. If you're ready for some action, this dog sure to keep you laughing. Let's go, mind dog, yeah, yeah, mind dog. Don't roll, don't play fetch, only here to keep your interest. This is the show that you've been missing. Full of comedians and musicians, plenty of interviews, entertaining. Keep it funny, there ain't no debating. So authentic and straight raw, pushing the limits when they talk, doing it live when they stream. Mind dog TV. Yeah, so crazy, getting intense. The dogs are wild, better beware before you hop over the fence. <laughs> mind dog, yeah, yeah, mind dog. If you're ready for some action, this dog sure to keep you laughing. Let's go. Mind dog, hey, mind dog. Don't roll, don't play fetch. Only here to keep your interest. Let's go. Come have coffee with the dog. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. Wow. Where's the girl running on the beach? I want to see the girl running on the beach. Show me the girl. Hello. Oh, turn around. Hi. You want to get some coffee? You're listening to Coffee with a Dog on Live 365 Mind Dog Radio. So there is some video uh, now, and they are saying confirming the guy. I'm not going to say his name, uh, but you want to follow that story uh, and maybe bring you some updates later on today. I'm kind of relieved that it's not who I thought it might be. Anyway, on to the, the program at hand. Uh, Mike Binder, uh, 
and I, <laughs> he, he's uh, included me in his um, stand-up world newsletter, which is uh, a big thing for somebody like me. Nobody, nobody knows me, and now they do because of his newsletter. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we we started. Uh, I started arguing with him over the Roseanne stuff last week, uh, and I know nobody cares about the Roseanne stuff, but um, I I do feel like. A lot of people got it wrong, and I did uh, end up, uh, I know, I've talked about this a couple of times, me calling Mike Binder uh, a lazy bastard, which gave him an erection, by the way, just be calling him a bastard, uh, but uh, for me to call him lazy when he's accomplished so much in his life, and here I am talking to you on the radio and on live streaming, internet services and things like that, I think is a little bit of uh, irony or silliness in in me if you don't know about uh mike binder he is a uh comedian who he tried to walk away but they keep pulling him back uh he's a proprietor of stand-up world he's a film director one of my favorite films of all time uh reign over me with uh, adam sandler and our good friend robert klein uh and he's here now I've invited him on the program, and he was gracious enough to come on to talk about these things. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mike Binder to Coffee with the Dog. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's, it, actually, it's it's my honor to have you on. I'm I'm a fan of your work, and I appreciate it. And I, I have to say that one of your replies to me was that... Um, you didn't think that your gaslighting would affect America that much. I think you have more influence than than you give yourself credit for. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, you're probably not Oprah Winfrey or Joe Rogan influence level, but a lot of people take influence from you, and I think you have a lot of power. Well, thanks. Thank you. And I, I, I mean, I, look, I, I know this, that stand-up world is growing, but I, but I also know that all I'm trying to do, and just like you, I mean, look, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. I'm just trying to speak from my heart, you know, and tell the truth in a time when I don't think that people are doing that enough, you know? I agree. That's all. That's all. I'm just trying to not censor myself. Yeah, I get it. I know. And, and by the way, that's why I responded to you, you know, because I, I, did, I didn't find it offensive at all. I found it like I liked it. I, All right. I, I I feel like we need to be able to do that more. We need to be able to go. Well, I disagree with you. God damn it! Yeah, but <laughs> you, you know? don't you don't have to call people a bastard. But I, uh, you know what? I I I I know that's uh, a a shortcoming of mine. Is I will I will jump to calling somebody a bastard pretty quickly. <laughs> I, I, honestly, honestly, I have to tell you that particular word does not mean anything to me and i was kind of just giving i was just giving you an elbow you know yeah i know i, I appreciate that and I, and I appreciate you not you know getting all bent out of shape about and I would it. Tell you something else any friend of robert klein's a friend of mine I, all right yeah well that's good to hear because uh you know what i i love i love robert he's my greatest influence not just in uh, in comedy, but in music. I, I, you know what, the guy has really, really shaped a lot of my sensibilities towards comedy and music. So he's well, a hero. I, I will tell you that I don't think that I would be here with you or in show business or or in comedy if it weren't for Robert Klein. Right. Oh, by the way, 
Laura Banks, uh, I don't know if you know her. She she was on yesterday, and she said she wanted me to say hi to both you and Eddie Brill. I guess I don't know if you know. <laughs> Remember her? She's from the Comedy Store. Yeah, uh, sure. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Tell uh, her she's back. Uh, but, but 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 yeah. Anyway. So anyway, uh, this whole idea of censorship, and I I want to because it is a hot. There's two real hot button issues in comedy right now. It's uh, censorship and joke theft. And what, and what was the last word? Joke what? Joke theft. Uh, I mean, the, the people plagiarizing other stealing other people's comedy. And, and you know, it's it's been a since Rogan went on with the Mencia thing. There's been a lot more of it. And people talk about it all the time. It's in, in the comedy world now. It's like uh, sensitive to either putting out material that somebody else might steal it or people doing jokes that are too close in premise to what I did. And, and there's a lot of backbiting and that stuff. And uh, the first one, the censorship, is the one I'm really interested in. Because yeah, I think I think that's the more interesting one because parentheses, I don't and I got into this with Rogan because I, I, I don't, the, the, this joke stealing thing to me is let them take it. Right. That's exactly, exactly it, my point too. <laughs> it, 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 what I've learned being around a long time now is that jokes aren't that important. It's your voice is what's important. Right. Yeah, they people don't go to see a comedian necessarily for a particular joke or any of that stuff. They buy it's it's like buying a product. You don't buy the product. You're buying the sales salesman. You're buying the personality. You're buying all of that. And and so and also, uh, you know, if you're good enough, you can. And one joke isn't going to make or break your career. You can just, no. And 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 if someone takes your joke, it's it's hurting them. It's not hurting you. You. You just go on with your your life. It, it, it's really there's a lot of misplaced energy in that direction. Yeah, yeah. But I, the censoring is ridiculous, you know. And that's that was what I was mad at more than anything, you know. And I, you know, I am just at the place in my life. I get, and I, I'm not going to use any dirty words here. So you I, can. Oh, I can. <laughs> oh, All right. Um. <laughs> The hell with YouTube, you know, you know, I, I just like I'm so sick of hearing, you know, or going on a show that with a guy who or a woman who has worked their butts off to build up a following and a, and a life and a, and a, and a, and a base. And they've got this YouTube show and you say something. Oh, no, oh, we didn't mean that YouTube. You know, it's like, stop it. Just stop it. You're making billions and billions of dollars. You can't be the the arbitrator of the world, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I just don't get it. I, I don't. Why they well, get away with it. I got a strike for a woman I had on uh, a name is Patricia Corey. She's an author and she was she was saying some crazy stuff, uh, but. Uh, I got a strike for it, and I uh, I signed an agreement with YouTube when I got their channel. Here's my thing, uh, on my take on it, is I started streaming, uh, doing this stuff before anybody else was doing it. I was doing it in 1994, and it was pitiful. Uh, but wow. it, it, I was doing it professionally for corporations in the early 2000s. We bought our own streamers. We weren't on YouTube. And I agree with your uh, statement, the hell with YouTube. But... 
all these people have the the resources and facilities to be able to bypass YouTube. And it is, you do sign an agreement to, to abide by their rules when you're on their platform, but you can do it without them. You can bypass them. There's no reason to complain. I don't think that's censorship. If, if a company, a private company says you can't do this in our house and you do it in their house, they have the right to say, get out. No. Yeah. But by the same token, you know, yeah, they have the right to, but if they, if you're, if you're, if if you're the, the the uh, soapbox of the 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 community, what's that whole term? That term used to be the the corner, you know, yeah. Hyde Park corner. You know, if yeah. you if you if you got that real estate, you got it because the world gave it to you. You know, and it, you have to have some responsibility that you can't be censoring people because because they're not saying what you want them to say you know and i think that there's a lot of that going on at youtube we found that out i mean we found we, we found that out that misinformation was what they thought was misinformation and, and i just with comedy i personally find comedy stand-up comedy to be a very important function in our society and I when absolutely you absolutely agree with that when yeah. you start muting who what the, what we're giggling and laughing at and who we're poking in the side hey 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 hey, hey you 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 look for you're, you're asking for you know the road right right there down to, towards you know author author authoritarianism oh sorry it's early in the morning yeah, and, yeah. you know yeah, know. you know what i'm saying <laughs> Yes, I do. Uh, but again, I, you know, there are other options, especially now there are more platforms tonight. We're on uh, Rumble as well. Now, Rumble has censored me for the opposite of what YouTube, and I don't want to use the word censored. They, they've deplatformed de me for, uh, or taken my content down for the opposite reasons that YouTube has. So we have those choices. Wait, you're kidding me. I, that's the first. So Rumble is, is doing the same thing, huh? But in opposite, Rumble. Well, I, I would put it as left and right, and YouTube is left, and Rumble is right. And yeah. so, if you say anything uh, that Rumble feels violates the right wing uh, propaganda, they will uh, pull your content down or just not show it. You know, just hide it. Oh, and, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't realize that. Well, and they're not the only one. We're also on platform. Or we're on Click and Playor, and they also have their different reasons. I think. And one of them is Canadian, and they have a whole different sensibility of why they will take you down. But again, I, I come back to the the idea that if I don't like any of these platforms, now the ben, the only reason to use YouTube is because they have this uh, place where people go to find it. They've become that aggregating source where people will go to look for the kind of content that they're interested in, and it's important to to have that kind of. But I think we have as a community we especially the comedy community and people like you have a uh, uh an opportunity to say don't go here let's let's build a a community that just aggregates or points to where people are doing on, on their own private entities and i think that solves everything nobody can be censored by anybody if you own the server I, for the hair industry in, in the late uh, early 2000s i used to do streaming shows for 60 or 70,000 people with the hair addresser awards from las vegas and you know we did it on a private server and nobody ever even youtube wasn't around at that time 
So it's it's wow. definitely doable. You can reach lots and lots of people live and then forever on demand with very little, you know, investment. So I I think that's the solution. I just uh, I think people complaining about it are just, you know, they got used to the comfort and ease of YouTube providing something for free. Oh, I and- agree. I, I I agree. You know, I mean, especially. I, I, that's what I say to comedians. You know, I mean, I'm in one of the things that we're doing with Stand Up World is we're gonna we're building a streaming side of it that I want to get all the comedians to put their specials on and and split the pot. Right. Yeah. That that, that which would be an absolute free zone. You know. Yeah. Well, if I'd be happy to consult with you on on streaming platforms and how to actually do that, if you ever needed that kind of uh, help, and you know, I'm not I'm not looking for a job. I'm just like free consultation here. <laughs> but I've done. I've had. I, I know. I know. But because I think you got about four jobs from what I can see. Yeah. yeah right. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, so I I do think that's a solvable issue, and I think it, the more we complain about it the more youtube feels like you know what no they don't have any other option but us with we're, we're still the big dog everybody needs us and we can do whatever we want and i think that emboldens them my biggest problem with them is they're really inconsistent with the way they they uh enforce their rules like they put the rules out there and you sign but if somebody if you're making enough money for them you can get away with something that they're not going to, I can't get away with because I'm not making them. That well, I don't know, but I, I just thought them taking Theo Vaughn down was, it, it was a step I thought in a weird direction for what, you know, if you really want to crank it back, the thing about the road, that particular one of Roseanne is, I, I just, I don't think anybody really, really, you disagreed with me. I, I didn't really think she was really serious about the Holocaust stuff. She was really serious about the 2020 election. Yeah. And and YouTube had already said they weren't going to take anyone down who did 2020 election stuff. So we don't know what, what to be fair here, we don't know the reason that YouTube gave and I don't I suspect it's not that because Rogan played that clip in its entirety and they let that go. I suspect it was what followed that where Theo Vaughn said the Jews run Hollywood, right? Yes. And she said the Jews run Hollywood like the blacks run hip hop. And she said that's why they're responsible for all. And so just the phrase the Jews run Hollywood is anti-Semitism in my mind. It's not like. Jewish, many Jewish people are in the art form and many Jewish people are are running studios and stuff like that. That's a whole different thing from saying the Jews, because the Jews means every Jew on the planet is involved in some kind of conspiracy when you take it to that level. I think that's what got them in trouble. Uh, I'm not sure of that. We don't know. We haven't, Theo Vaughn hasn't released like a statement about why it got taken down. He just said it was because of that clip. I think people are just um, were are basically gunning for Roseanne, you know. But but by the same token, I will tell you that Theo had on Bobby Kennedy a, 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 almost a, almost two years ago now, and he wants to have him on again, but he's afraid that he'll ha- he'll 
YouTube will take him down if he if he puts him back on. You know, afraid being afraid is the biggest. Um, you know, residual uh, effect of all this stuff is if it makes people afraid to speak the truth or, or what their truth, you know, if it if it has that effect, then it's really detrimental to society. If you're you're walking on eggshells, I don't know what I can say. That's a problem. I, I would definitely agree with that. And I would I would encourage Theo Vaughn to have that. I'd never wanted that clip taken down. I just wanted people to realize and not that I, I agree with you that Roseanne probably wasn't serious forever, but I think she was serious in that moment. I think she's totally nuts. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and, yeah. But but listen, I do. I agree with you. But she's nuts, and that's kind of become her comedy that she just says this crazy stuff. But also, I go back to the beginning because I knew Roseanne when she first started and she first came to California. And she first got the Tonight Show out of the main room in the comedy store. <coughs> and she always, that was her thing. She said whatever she wanted to say. And it was always like, what? What does that mean? Even back then, right. you know? So I, I just feel like, um, I, I feel like people have been jumping on her for the last few years in a really unfair way because uh, because i i feel like it i'll just say it you know and and i, I, I if she hadn't been a trump supporter that th a lot of the stuff she said they were okay fine you know but she chose to support donald trump which was you know i don't it's not a road i went down but it's a road she went down, you know, and it's and it's it's I feel like because of that, people beat the hell out of her. And, you know, she brought back this her television show, her own it with with her name on it, her show. And. She made a bad tweet. She apologized for it right away. And they they threw her off the show. Her own TV family went on without her. I mean, it was it was really a little, you know, it's like, you know, come on. Yeah, I get you it. Really, I get you it. really I... think if she if she was like all in for Joe Biden at that point and not hadn't hadn't been a Donald Trump person, they wouldn't have just kept beating that dog into the ground. I do. I because uh, I, and you do I... think. I, I did well because it started before she was a Trump supporter. She was an Obama supporter, and in 2012 she was get. I know you, you, you think I'm claiming to be a Roseanne expert, but I it's not. I just remember it like it was yesterday, 2012, when she was supporting the guy who was doing the concert, who was definitely a Holocaust denier, and she was getting beat up. She was totally in the Obama camp. She was an Obama supporter, hardcore Obama supporter at that point in her life. I, I'm, was, sorry. My, my, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mind dog. <laughs> at, that, at that point, she was running against him. She wanted to be president herself. Oh yeah, 2012, right? She yeah. was she was running against him. But at some at some <laughs> point in there, uh, 2013, 2014, yeah. she was an Obama supporter. Yes. So she, she's, she's all over around. the map. She's all over the map. Right. But, but she she's always she's been taking abuse really since since the mental breakdowns, I think, started happening somewhere in the early 2000s. And, you know, again, I think both 
and I don't think Roseanne is exclusive here. I think even Kanye West. I mean, we can talk about Kanye West. People know he's batshit crazy. He has said a ton of anti-Semitic things, which I don't think anybody would doubt that he truly believes most yes. of the time. But he's also, we know he's he's he got a mental disorder. Uh, he's severely uh, bipolar. And I don't think either side does a service to those people by ignoring that and trying to make excuses for it or, or condemn them for it. I think we need to recognize, I think the healthiest thing is to say, somebody <laughs> says, needs to say, you need to talk to somebody. You, you know, uh, we all have a, a degree of mental illness, but we don't all go out and express it <laughs> so publicly like that. And Yeah, I, I hear you. And there's truth to that. I, I just, you know, look at, and, and by the way, I'm not friends with Roseanne. And, you know, I did this very, very um, deep dive into the, the history of the comedy store for Showtime, a five-part documentary, which every comedian that I asked to do it, except for Roseanne, did it. She wouldn't do it. Why? I don't know. I don't know what Roseanne's problem was, you know. But Wow. She, and, you know, so it's not like, you know, I, I owe her anything. You know, I just... I and I and I and I hear you about Kanye, but I just feel like I don't know. I just find myself back in comedians, you know. I, no, I I I, 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 find, I find that somebody who is got a microphone in front of them, trying to be making jokes. Well, before the the comment that caused all the trouble on Twitter that morning, uh, Theo Vaughn actually said that as long as we're joking about it things aren't as bad as 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 long as we were allowed to go out and, and make jokes about it things aren't as bad as we're making them out to be and then of course <laughs> he wasn't allowed to make that joke well uh, uh, considering that i I just think in Vaughn's case he's just too weak to push back on him he's got celebrity lust to a point where anybody and i there's plenty of evidence of what Bill Burr just kind of beating him down, and he was just trying to kiss his way ass, kiss his ass uh, out of the out of the situation. I don't think he had any ability to push back on, on Roseanne in any way because I don't think he necessarily thought she was joking. He thinks of her as a mentor and somebody who's very wise and somebody who he should listen to. I that's my take on it. I don't really know Theo Vaughn, so. Uh, but in any event, uh, I do think there is a solution for it. And I think w more people need to talk about the solution because nobody does. Tim Dillon was ranting about YouTube. And I'm like, Tim, you have you have the resources to do this on your own and bypass YouTube. And you could still, if you really feel it's important to be on YouTube, just go on YouTube and say, by the way, I'm doing find me over there. And people would find it eventually anyway. I think that's the solution. Yeah, and that, you're, you're right. I mean, listen, you if you choose to go in the big room, play in the big room, the big room has rules, you know? Right, yeah. I, I just find the rules to be, sadly, at a time when we need to be open to free speech and comedy, the the I, guys that, are, that have the big room are putting their fingers on, on the comedians. I agree. Now, I know I only have you for a short time here. If, if we can talk about this uh, strike and your your take on it. Now, I know the strikes, I should say. Uh, there's a yeah, writer's strike. Absolutely. And it's two strikes. And if the fluffers go out, it's three strikes and it's the whole industry's out. Uh, and so at the, at the heart oh, of the sorry. issue... 
Sorry, it, that was a bad joke. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I get, uh, somebody's supposed to. Uh, I'm sorry. I, you know, sometimes I'm a little slow on the laughter part, but uh, to validate because I'm really the crux of this. The crux of this argument is AI, or is it salaries? What, in your view, what is the main? Uh, I I don't I I I think it's greed, and it's it's just actually I was so proud of Fran. Dreischer, you know, I, I really think the actors getting in with the writers are going to make the whole chemistry of this thing completely different. And I think it's time. I, you know, you know, the streamers streaming came in and changed the game years ago. I remember home video changed the game and we had to go out on strike and, you know, and, and really say, hey, we need a piece of this. This is crazy, you know, but it, it's just very hard for people in our in our side of the business to go to hear them say the business isn't working. The numbers don't work when each studio has 20 executives making upward over five to ten million dollars and then a couple at the top making a couple hundred million dollars. Right. And you could say, well, you know, that's they take the risk and they did it. No, you know, I as a young guy, I had a deal at Disney. I had a deal at Disney to make movies and I made a few movies over there. And while I was there, I remember Michael Eisner laid off fourteen hundred employees. Because he's he was just saying the the business is not working, and that year he took two hundred and forty million dollars of a stock bump, yeah. you know, a, a bonus. And I thought, you know, if this guy had taken two hundred million, he could have taken that forty million dollars and waved it around like magic dust, and not only kept the fourteen hundred employees, but you know, throwing it around to another 10,000 as little gifts, little, little bonuses. I agree. Yeah. But, but so the business works, it just doesn't work with this inequity. And, and I, and I'm not, believe me, I'm a capitalist. I'm not a, I'm not a socialist or a communist or, you know, uh, you know, I just feel like this particular business. And I, obviously there's a lot of, businesses in this country like this but not like this i grew up in detroit okay yeah, and i will tell class. you yeah but i will and i and i will tell you you can just look at it the difference the executives in detroit they have nice houses they there's nice restaurants there there's nice hotels there but they're nice right the executives in show business the big, the movie stars, the 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 the, 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 the elites in show business treat themselves so much better than any. It's, it's it's crazy the way they live. It's just crazy the, the the opulence that they live in. And I would say, what's happened over the years since I've been out there. Then the politicians decided they wanted that lifestyle too. If the if if movie stars and, and studio executives were living that good, why shouldn't the Obamas and the Clintons live that good? But right. that's but 
like I said, you would go to L.A. and there'd be a, a Four Seasons and a and a Beverly Hills Hotel, and this, you go to Detroit and the nicest hotel was like, you know, it was the Pontchartrain Hotel downtown, and it, it was nice, but it it sure wasn't anywhere near as good, you know. And, and the Ford, ex, the motor executives from all around the world would come and. They didn't need that kind of opulence. I get it, so, yeah. So what I'm saying is the top end of our industry lavishes itself with so many perks and the execs, so, there's so many executives. When Netflix started, it was just, it was a well-run company and they'd say, you do this and you, you, you we, we stream, you make. And just go make your thing. And sure enough, within a couple of years, they had 70 executives on every end. And, and, they're, and they're all making a fortune. And they're all flying around private. And they're all living like, you know, kings and queens. So, yeah, there's a reason why the industry doesn't work. And it's not just that. But that's something that needed to be, it needs to be addressed that... You know, the, the 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 size and the opulence of these studios and the overhead of these streamers are so huge out here. Yeah, and I think and and I'm sorry to ramble on. No, I, but, I appreciate your thoughts. But I think also, you know, you you've gone from a, a, a time when we have no transparency. We don't know how many people are watching the shows we make the movies we make we you know you know we used you know we used to have the ratings we used to have the see could see the weekend results you know and less and less transparency we you know it's just it's just there's no we're, we're at a less and less and less every every few years to the point where i feel like this strike is a really just strike and I feel like it's the only way to make them realize this can't go on this way. There's got to be a new system. And it might be the best thing in the world. You know, I, I think, you know, look at what with Joe Rogan and Bert Kreischer and, and, and you and everybody. Look, everybody's making their own world out there. It may be that 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 film and television producers and have got to just go, okay, screw you all. We're going to just go make our own world. Right. And sell, you know, there's this company, uh, Angel Studios, and they just did this, this, uh, you know what I'm talking about? The, yeah, the chosen people. Uh, yeah, uh, Angel Studios, I'm familiar with them, but uh, they, they fund a lot of, GoFundMe, I don't know if GoFundMe, they, they do a lot of independent funding for all their productions. Oh, is that how they do it? I didn't know, but... Yeah. I'm just saying there's going to be some kind of new model if they keep push, if they just keep staying so greedy, someone's going to have to come up with a new model. I agree. The, the, well, and I, I, I'm very cognizant of, of uh, you, you want to make this short, but I one more question before. No, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I got a few more minutes. Okay. Uh, in mo and I know labor disputes is not your uh, field of expertise, uh, but this one is a, a labor uh, question because in most strikes, 
it's the public and the consumers that make the difference. They put the pressure on the industry to solve it. I don't think a lot of consumers really care about millionaires and billionaires, and they they don't see a whole lot of difference between a studio executive making $150 million a year and a big star making $20 million a picture, that doesn't affect them. And as as long as they can have content that is out there already, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of pressure from the public to get this thing solved. Does that make a difference in your mind? Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think the public gives a damn and I don't think there's any pressure from the public. And although I do think Eventually, if the public starts to go, well, you're not coming up with new product, we, we don't need to pay the subscription fee. We'll just watch it on YouTube or we'll watch it free and, you know, or, or watch it, you know, we'll get it somewhere else. The only reason that they're paying these large subscription models are for the new stuff. Right. But I don't, uh, maybe not, maybe not Max, you know, or some, maybe they'd keep one, but I, I just feel like, the pu- you're right. The public, that's they're not going to demand anything. Right. But because they don't see it like that, even though we're not talking, we're, we're talking about very middle class workers, actors and writers. And it's a very, we're not talking about very wealthy people that are on strike. Right. The, the, wa- with- the wealthy people in this industry are on strike in support of the middle class workers. Right. Part of the problem, and there's a, a huge kind of uh, mind shift problem here, is public sees anybody in show business as rich and famous. Even even if they, I mean, you could see somebody who's working as a steady comedian headlining, but they're not rich. They're, they're struggling to get by, just like a lot of other people. But you see them, they're in show business, and you, the general working people assume they're rich. That's part of it. And the other part of it, and this is the bigger picture, I think, is people devalue or don't put enough value on art and culture, comedy, movie, film, books, all this stuff that enrich our lives. We don't, we don't necessarily think of it as uh, something as having, you know, solid value to it, which is why you see comedians willing to work for 10 years for nothing (laughs) because they don't see enough value in their own art. But I think that spreads out to the general public is we don't necessarily, we take it for granted. We take the value of art and culture for granted. And I think that's a big problem. I don't know how we overcome that. Uh, Your thoughts on that? Uh, I think we need a giant civil war. And (laughs) just, just for the, for the blood soaking, you know, (laughs) <laughs> okay, uh, YouTube. I believe that's a joke. Okay, yeah. Rumble. That wasn't a joke. That was serious. No, YouTube. That was a joke. <laughs> yes. You can, you can, you can settle down now. Right. I hope you're right about this in, in stand up world. I know. Again, I, I, I think you probably uh, don't uh, underestimate your own influence. But I will share if you write about this issue, uh, the you know, and and how how to get around. Uh, all this stuff. I, I would definitely share it with everybody I can and hope, hopefully. I wish I had the answer. I would write about it if I had an answer, you know? Yeah, well, I think we did. I think you agree on the answer to the uh, the online censorship censorship problem is to, you know, really put the resources in to create your own networks and bypass YouTube and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, YouTube, they have no problem with me telling people to bypass their network on their network. <laughs> 
I've been I've been banned. Yeah, but, but, but you're telling them to go to Pornhub, and it's just it's just a weird bypass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, anyway, I do appreciate you you getting up early and and uh, and and providing your thoughts on this stuff. I do think you are a, an influencer. Are you? Uh, now, I uh, in your introduction, I said you were a comedian who tried to get out, but they pulled you back in like Michael Corleone. Are you still doing stand-up? Because I know you. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you have anything on, on the uh, on the schedule now that you're doing? Or? Uh, I, I'm just doing a lot of stuff, you know, clubs. And, you know, I I, I done some opening. I opened for Adam Sandler and for the uh, Bumpin' Mics. And, and I went around, you know... Uh, playing a lot of clubs and now I'm, I'm doing the Hollywood Roosevelt here in town wow, as, as a regular thing every Tuesday night. And, and, but, I, but I, I'm just, uh, you know, concentrating on while the strikes on, on stand up world. And, and, you know, I think I'm going to make my own special when I feel like I got something to say. And just like every other comic out there, you know, I, I, I set it down for a long time because I, focused on other things and then it, I just got to the point where I, okay I, I want to get up and do it again and I feel so much better doing it now than I ever did before you know yeah well I think uh with age comes uh, uh more to say more in, insight I, I don't know That's I, right. feel, <laughs> That's right. I, I feel that way anyway not everybody would agree with me are you I, a stand-up I've done stand up. I'm getting back into it now. I didn't want to tell people about this. I'm do I've been doing some local uh spots here and there. Uh I've, yeah, I've been a musician my whole life and 35 years ago I decided I wanted to try stand up and I I basically told the story a 100 times. But I had to take off a night from playing with the band which meant I would take a pay cut losing money from playing with the band to go do three minutes at an open mic and also bring five people and buy their dinner and all of a sudden i'm like this is costing me a thousand dollars to do three minutes of time and and not and bomb and if i figured out you know what maybe i should just stick with music but now that uh i have time i'm doing something and this is one of the things i, I would hope that you could help spread the word about. We have a new, you know, it's not often that comedy clubs open. And here on Long Island, we finally got a new club opening, Sticks and Stones in the Hamptons by Abby Russell, who is from the Hamptons Comedy Festival. And uh, she just opened up a new club and I'm helping promote it. And, and that's where Eddie Brill is doing a workshop and headlining next week. Oh, and that's great. I just think comedy club opening rather than closing is a big deal because yeah. we've seen so many of them closing. You know? Yeah, that's great. I, Wish anyway, I appreciate you, you, you being here, man. And it's Thanks good a to, lot for having me. It, it's been my honor and pleasure to have you. And have a great day. And, and yeah, you too. Bye Thanks, for now. Matt. Bye. Mike Binder, folks. How about that? Um, you know, they, they are, uh, I'm keeping an eye on the screen. They are announcing the uh, name of the guy and showing pictures and videos of the, the serial killer stuff. Coming back to full circle here, what he was talking about, Netflix and and when they figure out that when the public figures out you're not making any new stuff anymore, I think this is a problem for the SAG after a strike and for the writer strike is Netflix figured out that people will pay more money for crap like this, this Gilgo, the uh, true crime stories that take very little money to produce documentary stuff. And it's generally one writer and, and uh, somebody with a video camera 
or high-end video camera or DSLR or something and can go out and produce their own content. And they're doing tons of that. The Jimmy Savile stuff. I mean, all, all the Netflix uh, new stuff, the stuff they're producing seems to be in the true crime stuff. And that takes very, takes no actors, uh, maybe a voiceover person. I don't know if they're uh, being a scab by crossing over a line and that stuff. That's a, that's a tricky thing to get around. If we're going to have studios figuring out that people would prefer to watch podcasts, and, you know, live talking comedians off the cuff and uh, then the true crime stuff. And there's no need for, Art and culture, again, it comes down to the whole devaluing and not not realizing the value of art and culture in our lives. And I think that's a hard sell to the public to get them back on. You know, we need and it's hard to sell art and culture when Spider-Man is art and culture. Right? It's not <laughs> not a tale of two cities. It's not uh, it's not deep culture. It's not, you know, good stuff. Uh, generally, it's it's, you know, cookie cutter um pop culture nonsense much like uh what we hear on the radio passing for music these days it's just manufactured and i don't think the public really cares that much i don't and that's the that's the biggest problem anyway we'll take a short break we come back in the next hour uh eddie brill will be with us and we'll be talking about uh, six and stones comedy club and his workshop that's going on there next week and uh, maybe his time at the comedy store too i know he lived behind the comedy store uh in errol flynn's old mansion uh for a while so that should be an interesting chat anyway uh, i'll be back in one moment true fire is the best place to learn uh musical chops musical technique uh online Check him out, True Fire. We're a proud sponsor of Coffee with the Dog. Over 2 million guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with True Fire. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. TrueFire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with TrueFire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. Truefire style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations, and track your progress as you work through your personalized Truefire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, student forums, Truefire's Riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. 
Party with a Dog is live streaming now. It is. It is, actually. We are, again, on Rumble today. Uh, looks like we got kicked off kick. I don't know. Maybe it was Mike saying that joke about the Civil War. In midstream there, kick decided, uh, and I don't know how many uh, people actually watch us on or follow us on kick uh but we got kicked off in midstream there it's very strange yesterday uh on rumble was our first day streaming live to rumble we've been on rumble for uh, about a year and a half now and uh, that's what we're talking about they take down some content for me but yesterday's stream live for the first time results were really good uh, but if you're watching on rumble we don't see you in the chat room you, you can't communicate back and forth here so uh we'll figure out a way that we can do that maybe incorporate it into the website or something um but you know that is what it is we'll work on that maybe we'll get the folks at Streamyard to help out incorporate a direct api um to rumble and and get those people to put their feedback in now i don't want to start a war in the chat room because there's a very different sensibility on rumble than uh necessarily on youtube or facebook or any of the other places where we're streaming uh and we should probably figure out a um an api for live 365 for the radio people because there's far more people on the audio side than watching my ugly mug in the morning um anyway they have announced the name of this guy now uh i'm not gonna say his name uh, he doesn't need any more fucking publicity but Man, uh, creepy, a creepy look. And it's creepy because he looks like so many people you might encounter in life. And then you look at the guy and then it it just definitely will taint (laughs) your experience in life. You see people that look like this. He's an architect and he looks like a typical geeky, chubby run-of-the-mill loser now he's an architect and his house looks like shit it's run down that's right away that should be raise a few red flags you're an architect why are you living in uh why is your house falling apart if you're an architect Uh, aren't architects supposed to be really building conscious uh anyway uh yeah a pretty successful architect too according to what i'm reading here Anyway, um, it's good that they, oh, wait, the Jordan, Jordan Peterson is here. Uh, it's, it's good that they can clean up their room and finally catch this guy, you know, because in the postmodernist world, too many of these. <clears throat> I got to kick Jordan out of, out of the studio. Anyway, we're uh, going to wait for uh, Eddie Brill to come in and talk about his workshop and uh, headlining at Sticks and Stones next week. Um, the writer's strike thing. And the SAG after uh, strike thing, I think it's going to go on a long time. I mean, Fran Drescher is pretty um, animated and emotional and passionate about getting this thing solved quickly. But my take on this, and I asked Mike about this, is most labor strikes end up getting resolved because of public pressure. I don't think there's going to be any public pressure. I think most people are happy to, you know, read about Gilgo Beach victims. And how much is this guy going to make on Netflix now? This, uh, I don't know. He can't make any money off it, right? I think there's a law that says uh, uh, 
perpetrators of the crime can't be compensated for their stories. But this will be a won't be long before Netflix has a, a special on this, and it's about time. Um, and if you've uh, followed me for any period of time, you know it's something I've talked about for a long time. I always thought James Burke would be, uh, if anybody indicated it to be the actual killer. This does not preclude James Burke from being directly involved. I want to, now Now the work begins. We see if we can tie, if there's any connection between him and Burke. Uh, I'd like to see if they, that exists. Uh, <laughs> somebody on Twitter. Now this is where it gets to be irresponsible, but funny. <laughs> Somebody is posting a picture of Matt Wall saying the uh, Long Island serial killer has been uh, caught. Well, I mean, yeah. Anyway, do you care about this stuff? Do you care about the serial killer stuff? Obviously, you do. You're watching a hell of a lot, hell of a lot of it. Hell of a lot. Fucking mouth doesn't work in the morning. Hell, hell of a lot of it on Netflix and other streaming services and the number one podcast and number one, number two, number three, number, we hear about Joe Rogan being the top podcast in the world. <laughs> nope. The top podcasts in the world are top 25, I believe, or top 30 are all true crime uh, based podcasts. Anyway, uh, I did slip up there and reveal that I have been, I didn't want to, tell anybody about this but i have been doing some some minutes in places because i suck that's why i didn't want to but i slipped so please uh go easy on that don't ask me to um because i haven't i haven't taped any of it for uh professional tape experience i put my phone up there and, and taped a few minutes that i've done here and there i will be doing some more um over the summer and fall and when I'm ready, maybe I'll uh, have some uh, something to announce and something to show for my work. But I think I'm still at the and this is this is something that I try to talk to people about. Don't be uh, necessarily calling yourself a comedian. I don't call myself a stand-up comedian. I've been doing, I've done probably I don't know, fifteen minutes total. And that's including uh, getting the light at a minute into it. <laughs> Get off the stage. You're not good. Um, <laughs> that's what it feels like. I'm, they're not really saying. We are having some torrential uh, storms here, by the way. Um, but so, you know, don't necessarily be go in a rush to go public with it until you're actually good. <laughs> until you actually uh, can call yourself a stand-up comedian. I am so he caught me off guard by asking, are you a stand-up? And I, uh, I didn't even have time to think of a political answer. <laughs> no, I'm not a stand-up. I don't even have any desire to. I don't know why. Because I have a lot to say, and I want to make it funny, and not necessarily. Obviously, I have a lot to say. I ramble on for two hours here by myself every morning. Um, anyway. Eddie Brill will be with us uh, shortly. Uh, looking forward to that. In the meantime, I'm just going to refresh my coffee. I'll be right back. I'm going to play. What am I going to play? I'm going to play a song or something, right? Uh, do I have something? Um, 
I don't have the best song to play here. I wanted a mansion in the sky. I don't have that. I'll play a. I'll, I'll figure out something to play here. There's got to be a song I can play while I can go. Um, uh, ba -ba -ba -ba, I'm looking for a short one. Something that's not going to be five minutes. I just want a two-minute thing. Um, I don't have any. You know what? <laughs> Maybe I'll play R.S. and the Krebs. R <laughs> People have, um, Carl has been asking to get Ralph. Ralph Dice Clay. Oh, wait. What's this? Uh, um, Ralph has been asking to... Uh, Carl has been asking to get Ralph Dice Clay, my friend Ralph, he calls him Ralph Dice Clay, on his program. Ralph uh, has uh, he got a song out called 13 Words. It's by R.S. and the Krebs. It's actually, I wrote it and produced it for him. I'm playing guitar on it. Uh, I'm not proud of the video <laughs> necessarily, but I'm going to play that song while I go grab a fresh cup of coffee. I'll be right back. Please uh, stick with me. Catch my drift, are you up to speed? Don't make me bleed, do you hear me? Can you comprehend, don't you understand that it's hit the fan? dig it uh that's kind of it makes me laugh because the entire crowd is asian that's i guess we were playing uh 
in Tokyo. <laughs> Obviously, stock footage there, uh, but it makes me laugh every time I see that stuff. 13 words by Aris and the Crab. Still awaiting Eddie Brill. I told him 10 15. Uh, stuff with Mike uh, Binders, uh, good stuff. You know, Rain Over Me. You're not familiar with that film. I know Mike has done many, many films, uh, but to me, that definitely is one of my. And listen, who am I to be giving a list of top ten uh, films of all time? But Godfather, Unforgiven, I would put Rain uh, Rain Over Me in my top ten list uh, of all of films of all time. It was a really great film, and of course, it's got some great people in it, including uh, Robert Klein. So, anyway, uh, Oprah Winfrey is uh, is trending, and I wanted to know why. And it says, uh, now, this is, we are getting some really wild thunder. Uh, I hope we, we can stay on the air uh, to get the Eddie Brill stuff in. Um, you can't take, you know, what you read on Twitter, you can't necessarily... Uh, always or even often uh, take it face value. But Oprah is trending there, and the number one thing that comes up is Oprah Winfrey's private jet flew to Epstein Island 11 times. Oprah Winfrey, and that's, I have reason to be skeptical about that. Oprah Winfrey does not seem like she would be into teenage girls. And I don't think any of these billionaires were wanting to hump <laughs> Oprah Winfrey. I mean, why? Why would Oprah Win Winfrey's jet be flying to Epstein Island 11 times? That makes no sense to me. And there's no explanation, but it's in at least. Uh, oh, and there's another one. Oprah, Oprah's spiritual healer sentenced to 99 years for raping girls accused of baby trafficking. Wow. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, but. Uh, and there she is with Harvey Weinstein. Maybe there is something to all this stuff. I'm not saying there is or there isn't. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just reporting what I'm reading. Uh, and it's um, it's interesting stuff. Anyway, any thoughts on that? I'll open it up to the chat room. Let me see who's in the chat room and what, what people have been saying so far. Uh, Robert Taylor, was, uh, his brother-in-law lives in Ma uh, Massapequa. Listen, uh, when I first heard it was Massapequa, I was concerned that I, and it, I thought I knew who it might be because, as I mentioned, I was playing over there a lot. And there was a guy who I used to be very friendly with who right around the time the killing started, the late 90s, uh, we had a major falling out. But I know he was still stalking me, like, like yeah, checking in on me. Like, what's what's this guy doing? And he lived in Massapequa pretty close. I mean, on <laughs> they announced the name of the street where where the guy was located, and I was like, "Oh no, I hope it's not him." And then I went and looked on Facebook for him, and he, his profile was deleted. And I was all oh, got a sinking feeling, like, "Oh my God, do I actually know a serial killer? And could I have been friends with him all that time?" I'm relieved to find out that it's this guy I never saw before. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God I don't know this guy. It would have been really messed up if this was a, a guy I was friendly with for well, more than 10 years, like good friends with. Uh, so I'm glad it's not him. Anyway, as I uh, mentioned, uh, 
we have a new comedy club here on Long Island. It's called Sticks and Stones uh, Comedy Club. It's in Southampton, New York. It is uh, the work of Abby Russell, who is known for the Hamptons Comedy Festival, and, and she's just done a lot. She produced films on, on the subject of comedy, very uh, huge fan and supporter of the art form. And Monday, uh, Eddie Brill, who is, uh, spent a life in comedy and has worked 17 years as the um, audience uh, warm-up person and comedy booker, handpicked by David Letterman. Uh, he is doing a workshop there on Monday that I'm going to attend. And then he's headlining the club on Tuesday night, which I'm also going to attend. He's here now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. Yeah. Hey, good morning. How are you, my dog? Nice to see you. Are you on Long Island now? No, I, I'm in Manhattan. Oh, are you getting all this, this crazy weather that we're getting on the island? Uh, not yet. Not yet. What, do you, what kind of weather did my... Oh, my God. To? Like hellfire uh, or thunderstorms, <laughs> and, and like the wow. world is coming to an end out there. I just had to take my jacket off because it got so hot in here, mm. overriding all the air conditioning that had me cold enough to have to put a jacket on. Wow. <laughs> well, thanks for the warning. I don't know if it's heading my way or going the other way. But... I hope it's going the other way. Yeah, let's, the... Let, us, let us pray. Yes. Uh, so you're, but you're coming out to the island now uh, Monday because I, I, they took it the uh, the workshop thing off the Sticks and Stones website. Uh, are you still doing that? Well, I'm not doing a workshop, which I, you know, I do workshops. I, I'm doing one in the city on Sunday, but I'm doing like a seminar Q, combination Q&A, you know, deconstruct comedy, talk about it, answer questions that people might have. Uh, we might do a little... I mean, it's pretty liquid, you know, if uh, we want to work with one person and maybe and talk about stand up or whatever, we can do that. But it's pretty much a free for all. It's going to be a couple of hours on uh, on Monday and that'll be a lot of fun. And then on Tuesday, my son and I are doing stand up. Uh, oh, you, yeah. did you say your son? Yeah, my son's been at it for a long time. He's uh, he also started at the comedy store kind of in L.A. and he's been at it now for 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Laura Banks was here yesterday. She told me to say hello to you. Oh, good. Yeah. She called me after she spoke with She was so jacked up from having a good chat with you. She said, oh, oh really? Great. And yeah. That's She's good terrific. to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have thought, because I'm used to, uh, I, just, I was just on with him. Don't go on that show. He's oh, crazy. Yeah, right. No, you got the opposite. <laughs> she actually was raving, and that's why she called me. But we're friends a very long time. She's incredibly talented, and she's Doing a, you know, now she's taken a, a step further with combina a combination of stand-up and acting and publicity and writing, and she's right. on the, the roll. One thing I didn't talk to her about was astrology, which uh, <laughs> would probably be better for my nighttime show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, she's very uh, – and you know what? I was never a Star Trek fan, and that kind mm -hmm. of <laughs> – I didn't know anything about Star Trek. Yeah, I but. wasn't either. I mean, I didn't hate it. I, I'd watch it, but it wasn't like – you know, I wasn't like, you know, like a Trekkie or I couldn't tell you, hey, do you remember episode 16, scene 12 when the this happened? And, you know, yeah, yeah. Like that. you so, lived in Errol Flynn's mansion. Well, for a while in Los Angeles, when we were at the comedy store, Mitzi was Mitzi Shore, Paulie's mother, Sammy's wife, 
um, Mitzi her, in her own right was a, a superpower in comedy and she helped so many people, including myself, my son, Letterman, everybody who ever went through. And when I was out there, I didn't have really have a place to stay and she put me up uh, with her daughter and another guy, Tom, and we we it was right behind the comedy store, so I didn't have to walk very far. Comedy store was like my living room, and I lived at the comedy store house behind there, which belonged to Errol Flynn. So there's wow. that. Yeah. Were there any remnants of Errol Flynn's property? Yeah, all over the place. It was just all this DNA. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that's got to be a fascinating story. Now, Mike Mike Binder, who who is. Uh, uh, just on the program, he did it five hours on on uh, uh, Showtime about the comedy store. Were you consulted on, on, on that at all? You know, it's interesting. You know, when I first came to L.A. Uh, to audition and pass at the comedy store, it was the, you know, sort of 1986. And Mike was there and I was a young comedian and Mike was very, very good to me. And he was, you know, he was very funny, still is uh, very funny. But, you know, as a young comic, you look up to the people not only who were funny, but also who were good to people like, you know, Taylor Negron and Kinnison and John Mendoza and Schimmel and all those people. They were so good to me and helped me out. And Binder was one of them. He was really, really nice. But we weren't best friends, but he was very kind and took his time to say nice things to me. So I know him better than he knows me. So when it came for the comedy store, I was hoping they would ask me be since I lived there because right. I didn't I didn't just live in the house. I also there was a comedian named Mitchell Walters who's a very nice guy, very funny guy. Uh, Mitzi put us up together in this like shack that was right next to the place, and so I pretty much lived there and was there all the time. And I have a million trillion billion stories, you know, that would have been great for the special, but. I don't think Binder put two and two together that I was that young kid that he was nice to. And he probably doesn't even remember me. You know, I'm not even sure. Right. To be but fair, I remember him. I, I was critical of the work that he did. For, and now I understand the challenges of, of the comedy store being what it is. And five hours, you only have so much time to do. Right, right. But there are so many people I, I know that he uh, he left out or didn't consider talking that I would. And then to give 25 minutes to Annie Letterman on the on the final episode, I felt like, you know, 25 minutes is a lot for somebody like that. Maybe we could have given her 10, 15 minutes and give at least 10 minutes to people like Jeff Altman and right. people like Joey Gaynor, who who lived there I, and yeah, was opening for Richard Pryor and was there the night the Sunset Trip stuff happened. And, I remember, yeah. And, people I, like and I, Joey was there when I was there at the beginning. Joey and I shared the same birthday, and we both used to sing with the Kinnison Band. Yeah. Uh, him and I, you know, so, you know, I pretty much lived there. I, you know, I actually, Sam Kinison's brother, Kevin, and I were very, very close, his younger brother. And, um, you know, it was it was a very family, Kinison family. I didn't know his older brother a lot because he wasn't there a lot in the years that I was there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, there's so many interesting stories, so many different things that went on. But Kinnison was very good to the young comedians. And he was, uh, you know, Jimmy Schubert and myself and, and Steve Pearl. And uh, there was a ton of people, uh, Tamayo Atsuki. And all of us were getting work like crazy because Kinnison was very generous with when he saw someone who worked their ass off. He took, he took good care of them. Dice Clay was very good to me. Um, his grandmother and my mother were very close. 
at one really? time from Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. Your Brook. Uh, your roots yeah. are in Brooklyn. Very yeah. cool. What part of Brooklyn? Bensonhurst. Okay. <laughs> yeah, where are you from? Uh, well, my people are from East New York, but don't don't. don't I won't take it around. Not not even a little. Bit. <laughs> uh, I'm still here. I'm not running away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now, yesterday when we ta- I was talking to Laura, we were talking about the insecurity of the life in, in the arts generally, but in comedy, I mean, you never know where your next paycheck's coming from. You never know. Right. You got what I think it probably. I'm talking about the Letterman situation. It's probably the best situation a comedian could ever have is having the best of both worlds. You still get to do your comedy, but you have a steady job. How did that happen? Um, I was out in L.A., and I went to Emerson College in Boston, and we started a comedy group there, and we started this comedy department with Norman Lear that goes to this day. And uh, we had a lot of things going on at Emerson at the time. And when I moved out to L.A. as a young comic, there was a kid who was working at Saved by the Bell, who I went to college with, who got me the job as a warm-up comedian slash babysitter for the audiences. <laughs> and I had never done anything like that. But, you know, it was, a ste- it was a real good steady paycheck. And the coolest part about working at Saved by the Bell was that it was literally across the hall from The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I mean, literally, not like... I mean, like four or five feet away. So wow. that was a thrill for, for me. Um, but I was I did some warm-up. So in around 1990, I decided, you know what? I'm moving back to New York. New York is, you know, more my style. There's a lot of BS in L.A. that I didn't really enjoy that was going on. A lot of surfacey kind of friendships and stuff like that. And uh, so I moved back to New York, and I got a job warming up the Dana Carvey show. And the Dana Carvey show was this brilliant show that it didn't last very long. Three months Uh, or something. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) Bob Smigel got, you know, who's always been very generous to me, um, had me doing the warm up. And, you know, Steve Carell and Colbert and uh, Dana Carvey and and Louis C.K., who I knew since he was a young kid as a young kid comic. And he uh, when the show was canceled, I'm telling the story. I'm bored already. No, the story is. uh, You know, Louis gets a job at Letterman writing over there, and Letterman needed a warm-up comedian. He walked in the writer's room and said, does anyone recommend someone to warm up? And they said, well, Louis said, we just had Eddie Brill. You should definitely get him. So I met Letterman. I had a six-week trial period that lasted 17 years. Wow. It went pretty well. And the other part of that was you were responsible for booking the comedians that were on the show? Yeah, I mean, there was other bookers. Zoe Friedman, Bud Friedman's daughter, who's one of the who booked me on the show, who's a genius comedy genius, loving, lovely person. Um, she was the booker, but she got this killer job over at Comedy Central, and it was smart of her to take it. And they needed a booker, and Letterman and I would talk all the time about comics, and uh, I guess that clued him in. And I ran, I started a comedy club in 1984 called The Paper Moon in New York City. And we had given opportunities, Adam Sandler's first place, Colin Quinn, and, you know, a million people all start, kind of started there. were a bunch of comedians helping comedians. And, it, you know, so I booked that before. So I've been booking before, and I knew a lot about comedians, and I always like to, again, help people like I was helped. And, uh, yeah, so that's what I was doing. And now, now all of a sudden I'm booking the Letterman show as a comedian. And it's pretty intense because there's thousands of, you know, as a comedian, especially at that time, 
um, I was traveling around the world. I was in England and Ireland at least four to six times a year doing stand-up over there, working in Australia, working in Hong Kong, working in Bangladesh, you know, Paris. And so I knew comics from all over the world. So now I have this job that everyone wants to be part of. And I had a, I was very good at the job and I was very careful and very caring for the comedians, but you can't book everybody, you know, it's kind of, that was the difficult part of it to tell people you knew and loved and who treated you like gold that you couldn't put them on TV. It was very, it wasn't, that was the really, really hard part of that job. It seemed like it would be a lot of work because if I look at what we have today, it's even more work now just to keep up with everything because there are so many people, so many talented people, really good people out there working. It's hard to know everybody who who's great out there right now but see here's the thing i was a comedian so every week i'd be traveling to a city and i could see all the local comics like say i was working denver's comedy works for the week on the last night i was there they would put on 10 local of the best local denver comedians and i'd be able to watch them but really the way i got most of the comedians was the recommendations of other incredible comedians who said hey you know you should look at this person um, but I traveled a lot for the show, you know, looking to to book. And I, you know, I, I, I wanted to be the booker that that I would have wanted if I was, you know, working at the show. And uh, and I what did I, as best as I could, you know. What I want, uh, part of my legacy, I want to be able to discover somebody and be the first person to say, I was, uh, I was the one who gave the first person their very first shot. That's yeah. all I want for my legacy. I know. I, I've done that. I've been, you know, Mike Birbiglia and Joe Wong. And, um, I mean, I can go Tommy Johnigan, uh, Roy Wood Jr., um, you know, on and on and on people who I gave them their shot uh you know, early on and, uh, you know, and it feels so good. There's actually, I've been producing, I just finished producing 12 comedy specials and now it went so well that they're going to give us another dozen to film. And there's a young comic who I saw through a recommendation of another friend who uh, lives in, uh, Dubai, who's a comedian out there. And I saw this person and, and she was brilliant and funny and smart and sharp. And I'm excited because I'm going to hopefully give her her break in the States. Wow. Yeah. So, so we are very fortunate. And I was talking to Mike about this. This is big news for me because forever, it seems, uh, the only news I ever heard about comedy clubs was comedy club closing. I didn't hear about any uh, opening. And Abby has this place in uh, right. Southampton. How long have you known Abby? A very long time. I did the very f- first um you know comedy festival that she ran out in the hamptons actually the first time i worked in southampton i worked with john mendoza and larry uh amaros and the three of us were there and i think it was 87 or 88 when the uh the hypodermic needles came up on the beach in southampton we, we saw them we actually we couldn't go swimming but i've been working there a long time but i've known abby for you know a million years and i always was like a consultant for her and and helped her with uh different things and uh she wanted me to come there, and I asked her if I can bring my son. And, you know, sometimes you you have a comedian friend or a child or whatever, and they're not that good, but I, I will say that my son is really talented. So, of course. You know, I'm prejudiced, of course, oh, of course. you know. Yeah, it's but hard not friends, to be. <laughs> but my friend, I know, but my friends are like, hey, your son is very funny, you know, funnier than you. And I'm like, that's not too hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you seen The Room? I haven't. I'm going to go there and, uh, you know, one of the things I'm running all the clubs that I've run before, I know how to really put a room in the right place. There's a club in Alameda, California, 
where I um, help set that up. I know how to really set up a room. So I was telling Abby through what she told me on the phone about how to set it up. But when I get there, I'll let her know what I think. Is how it's got grade, gradient seating, which is I weird. Like for a com- it's strange I for like a comedy club, though. Caroline's used to be like that. Caroline's, who's also gone now. They had 300 seats and the audience would come up and the back row, you'd see them like like they were right in front of you. Yeah, I, I imagine it's a different experience than everybody being on the floor. And a lot of the what you see now is uh, your comedians are like a foot and a half on a stage, foot and a half high, sometimes even small, like a couple of ballads. I like that. I like being on the ground and have the audience coming up. Wow. I think it's a, it's a better sight line and it's more intimate. Wow. Uh, what do you, a big part of the uh, conversation with Mike this morning was about censorship in, in right. comedy and that, uh, uh, do you, do you think there's anything to this idea? Because I don't think, I, I know there's a lot of outrage about it, but at the end of the day, nobody's getting pulled off stage and arrested like Colin or Lenny Bruce or any of that stuff. I don't no. think it's real censorship. What, what's your take on it? Well, there is censorship that happens. I recently had booked a show and this comedian was on and she was really funny and really dark. And uh, somebody pulled her off the stage and said, you're not supposed to do that. And, and in reality, she didn't do anything too harsh. It was just, you know, people who were too sensitive. And in reality, look, you, you know, everyone has their right to be outraged by something. And if something hurts them or if it feels bad, they have that right. But, you know, they don't have the right to, um, you know, punish a comedian for, you know, like, for, for instance, like, if I want to talk about religion, I should be able to talk about it. And George Carlin told me that he said, look, they can't argue with your perception. You know, you know, they can disagree, but they can't argue with it, you know, and like a guy like Chappelle, you know, who is the, you know, one of the goats of comedy, you know, he he's telling his truth, whether you agree with it, or it flips you out or whatever, you know, look, if you if you don't like the joke, Wait a couple of jokes. You might find one you like or don't go to that show or change the channel or, you know, just there's no reason to be sensitive. It's a joke. And the reason it was written, it was written like a joke. Now, if someone comes on stage and says, let's bomb this place and here's hand grenades and, you know, then then there should be a little, little bit of censorship there. Right. Well, here's the thing, and I agree with what you said, but I don't call it censorship. I just think there's outrage culture where people like people who know they don't like Dave Chappelle will tune in to looking for something to get outraged. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Right? Uh, he, you know what, you know what, I did a podcast a couple of years ago in, uh, from my, this very spot, but in Finland and the name of the podcast was we're not here to please you. And that sort of, when I heard the title, it really lit up my, what was left of my brain. And it was, um, it's the fact that, you know, people say, you know, I didn't like Chappelle. He did this joke. I go, well, he's not here to please you. Right. That's not his job. His job, you know, it's much more alluring when an artist does what they want to do. And if you like it, great. And if you don't like it, there's other people who do what you like. You know, a lot of people are very afraid. We're we're, we're raised in a society based out of fear and, you know, mostly fear and guilt, which right. are and guilt is not something that actually exists in nature. It's something that's created. Right. So if you all of a sudden are feeling guilty, get over it. You know, stop, stop creating that guilt that you're doing. The same right. thing with, with this, you know, look, people are going to be offended and that's going to happen. And I'm sorry that, but no one's, you know, no one's inciting death 
or you know there's no it's it's comedy it's it's a joke it's someone's perception you know it's i'll tell you what what's always happened in comedy what's always been a consistent thing and even sid caesar said something to that effect is you know you're telling your truth you're the foundation of all comedy is the truth and a lot of times the truth freaks people out so they get really nervous at the truth and they don't you know that you can't handle the truth and it's really true that people can't handle the truth so it's kind of funny when you watch people squirm when they hear the truth when you bring up stuff about religion or you bring up stuff about sensitive topics you know it people can freak out by it and again they have every right to be but you know calm down yeah i i i agree with what you said but i i think for most of the people that were named people recognize people this isn't canceled because they're getting bigger they're blowing up and you know you can come back to the there's no such thing as bad publicity i mean i look at howard stern he's his career was built on getting <laughs> right. people angry at him and and all that kind of stuff so and Chappelle, he's still and louis ck all these people yeah, are getting still- rich of it. but yeah, the right. problem is the guys, like the girl you saw getting ter- uh, pulled off the stage, I think there is a negative effect on them. And I kind of touched on this with, with Mike Binder on this. It's that if you become afraid, if if the person who had, doesn't have name uh, recognition becomes afraid and feels like they have to soften their comedy, that's not good for culture in, in any no, way. Not and, at and, all. And how do you kind of convince these people that maybe getting you know getting outraged and pub- making publicity out of this stuff finding out when they grab you off the stage you got to go to your publicist immediately and say does anybody <laughs> right. have any iphone footage of this let's blow it up on <laughs> i know and that's the other thing you know as a comedian you're trying new material out and sometimes you try something out and it doesn't work and it comes off wrong or you say something that you don't mean and then you go oh what an idiot i was there and let me fix that you know, I wrote a joke a million years ago about being in Florida and the Canadians on the beach. And I based it on the, the look uh, that, you know, based on looks and, and all this stuff. And it was and my joke was fine, but it just was easy and cheap and whatever. And I got older and I evolved as a comedian and I rewrote the joke and the joke was about me. It's about the best comedians. They're, they're the most vulnerable. You know, like Bill Burr, for instance, when he was uh, a younger comic, he was brilliant. But everything, everybody sucked but him, you know. And I said, look, it's got to come back and bite you in the ass every once in a while or it's not compelling. You know, you can there there are comedians who just shit on comedians, shit, shit, shit and uh, on something. And it's like, you know, there's nothing. It's not compelling. But if you, you know, if you like Robert Schimmel was the perfect example of someone who was the ultimate guy who was the most vulnerable he asked his wife if he can go in the other way and she pulled out her vibrator and said let me do you first and (laughs) and the reason why that's funny is because he's acting like he's the man and he's in charge and (laughs) and when in fact we're all nerds and you know Uh, you know i don't even want to go there but the history of comedy my audience uh, a lot of it is young comedians and uh people and they don't know they didn't know who robert klein was i had to explain to them who yeah. robert klein was they don't know who robert schimmel is and, yeah. and that, that's, that's a, a, a yeah. Tra- yeah, it's a tragedy and a shame i mean these are people who were i mean the, the art form it, to where it's evolved i think is built on the work of these people and not to not to appreciate it or even know about it well that's a, that's what people are afraid of history they don't want to go back and find out the, the root cause because sometimes it's scary and ugly when you 
when you look under the chassis, you know, and yeah. a lot of people are afraid to do that. And that's a, a, a shame. But like, you know, I ran the Johnny Carson Comedy Festival in Nebraska where he grew up. And I brought a bunch of young, brilliant comedians when they were starting out. Mark Normand and, like I said, you know, Roy Wood Jr. And, and you know, uh, Sashir Zamata, who was going to eventually be on Saturday Night Live, Zameda. And, you know, they didn't know who Johnny Carson was. And Johnny was the, the guy who really helped comedians more than anybody else on television in the history of talk shows. And so what happens is you put on a festival like that, you honor Johnny, and these young comedians find out, oh, wow, Johnny Carson was this incredible person who dedicated a lot of his show to giving comedians a career. Com complex guy there, Johnny Carson. And uh, right. you know what? Sometimes after death, people, you know, history isn't friendly to these people. Carson has a reputation now of being somebody who just didn't like people, which I find hard to believe that he could have really warm conversations with people it was an all an, all an act i don't know but that, that's what i wanted to ask you about letterman i don't know i'm not going to ask you to give me any dirt about letterman but was he appro uh, approachable and friendly yeah he was he was great i mean he was very loyal you know we worked hard for him because he worked hard for us you know they're having the writer's strike while we're doing this thing here know. you know um a few years ago when we were letterman was recording we there was an eight-week writer's strike and we were you know, it was around November and we we're just getting ready for Christmas and people are working at the show and they have families and they have to buy Christmas gifts. And Letterman dug in his pocket and paid everybody for the whole eight weeks. You know, that was the kind of guy he was, you know, he uh, and that's this is not any news. He was in the paper. He spent six million dollars of his own money and made sure everyone had money so that, you know, I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. You know, the year of 9-11, we um you know usually had this big lavish christmas party every year well he took the christmas money and and gave it to the firehouse you know he would go on you know christmas eve and he'd go to kandahar you know with biff henderson and uh and paul schaefer and not announce it and say hey look at me i'm going to you know to iraq or whatever he was the kind of guy who would was very giving and very you know he was you know my uh i remember when my sister passed away he couldn't have been more giving and loving and there and and then you know also he was fun and funny and he you know he loved the Beatles and we talked about them all the time and he took me to hockey games which was great because I'm a big hockey fanatic and uh, I did you know, not know he he loved the Beatles that that puts a whole different perspective on that point where McCartney told him he didn't like the show. <laughs> <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> um, yeah, um, do you know Jeff Altman well? Very well, very very well. Is he busting my balls and like? Because every time I talk to him before we go on the air, he acts like he's uh, talking to Letterman because he knows how much I would love to just get Letterman on the show. And I think he's, I think he's pulling my leg. Oh yeah, I'm on the phone with Dave right now. Hold on. <laughs> he could be. I don't know, but I know that him and Letterman were very close. And you know, Letterman like every weekend. You know, we recorded four days a week and we recorded two shows on Thursday. So every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I head off and I go do comedy somewhere. And I come back and Monday morning, Letterman's like, all right, tell me about the gig. Tell me about this. And me and, and Altman would work together a lot. And, and uh, we would tell Altman, he would tell me Altman stories. And, you know, he, you know, he, he was very good to Jeff. He not only did he put him on and they were friends and hung out and lived life together, but he also gave him, you know, spots on television all the time. Right. And he did that for his friends. Uh, you know, him, the, uh, George Miller was his friend and, uh, 
George uh, Miller, John Witherspoon, and the three of them wrote for J.J. Walker and Letterman all through life had put all those guys on television all the time. These are his friends. He was, you know, very loyal. He, you know, we worked our our asses off at that show, but he he brought us. It was fun to play on that level, and that's what I loved about working there. Yeah, well, good stuff, man. Uh, you've had an incredible career, incredible life, and I, 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 you know, I'm in awe of it. Uh, I know your your time is short here, and I, I don't want to respect your time. Now, the thing on, and when you're doing workshops and se- seminars in general, do you talk about the uh, business of comedy? Because so many people, just, especially today, well, I'm seeing people. Uh, I think the pandemic and the rise of internet comics who <laughs> never wear comic clothes but have a really big following on the internet. They it's don't different ever thing. think about the business of comedy. Right. It's very, very important. It was important back in the day, and it's just as important now. The bottom line, the important thing is to be funny. And if you could pull that off, that's the, the that's the number one big thing to be able to do. And there are people who are playing on Route One uh, guitar in the lounge who are more talented than people who are on the radio. And that's just the way the business goes. You have to find a way to do it, like you know, to, to a way to be successful at it. Like for instance, with comedy, you can be an internet sensation, and you could find a way to get millions of followers. And then when it time goes time to go to the comedy club and you can't go up there and do 45 minutes to an hour because you don't have that material, you don't know what it's like to work for humans in a scenario where every, you know, every new breath is a new moment. So right. what happens is is these internet people are smart, they'll bring five or six of their friends who are really good comedians. These internet people will just host the show, go up on stage and say a couple of things, and the crowd will laugh because you know you, you, there's such a, there's a lot of sheep in our society. You know, we like you ever see. I don't know if you're a baseball fan. When the baseball is thrown to first base, the crowd boos every time, right. and right. there's nothing to boo. Right. You know, look, <laughs> one of the things you do as part of the to be a good defensive baseball team is to throw the ball to first. Right. Make well, sure the guy's not not going to steal on you. Right. The other part is check. if it's like booing someone for bringing the infield in, you know, <laughs> it's like, why are you booing? Well, you're booing because you're sheep and you think you're supposed to boo there. Well, that happens in comedy as well. Well, people will laugh because they think they're supposed to laugh. I went to a mo- uh, movie once and Eddie Murphy was in it and it was a serious movie. And Eddie Murphy's first line was a serious line. And the audience laughed. Because they, oh, well, it's Eddie Murphy. He's going to say something funny. And even if he doesn't, they'll laugh as if it was funny. And I almost wanted to stop the movie and go, why did you guys just laugh? <laughs> you know, um, it's kind of weird. I, I've got laughs. I, I remember one night at Caroline's, I ad-libbed something. And it didn't make any sense. But the audience laughed like it was the funniest joke in the world. Because the rhythm I set it in was, very, was the rhythm of a joke. Right. And they laughed at that. And that's interesting how that happens. So when I do these workshops, I don't believe you can teach someone to do stand up comedy, but you can workshop it just like, you know, actors do and musicians do. And I mean, Al Pacino still takes work, does workshops and stuff because it's important to keep fresh and be sharp at it. And, uh, you know, so some, you know, and to have discussions about comedy because there's no rules really in comedy. If you're Andy Kaufman and someone tells you, well, you got to get a laugh every four seconds or whatever you're never going to have an andy kaufman or a lily tomlin or a jonathan winters you know so uh, there's no rules in it the only rule is to to really have fun be funny 
and uh, you know, and 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 do what makes you laugh as a comedian. Tell your truth. Well, uh, I'm glad you said that because I am struggling with this idea. I've been doing so, and I revealed it this morning by uh, against. I slipped out in my discussion <laughs> with mine that I have because in, early in my career I did uh, to try stand up against being a musician at, at the time, and it didn't work out for me financially, and I gave up. But mm-hmm. re- recently, I've been doing this, and this whole idea of finding your voice finding your voice they say right well i am so schizophrenic and multi-personalities that and i think some of them can be funny in different ways but i'm not sure who i should be i mean right and that's the issue right there you know who you should be you should be you and that's the hardest thing to find is who you are and that's what you're searching for to find your truth (laughs) when you go up on stage uh, go up on stage and because the only real teacher in comedy is uh, you know is stage time the only way you could learn is to get on stage, get on stage. And after a while, you get what I consider stage legs because, you know, people say, well, I got to find my voice. Well, Dorothy, it's always been there. You know, yeah, your, voice, yeah. your voice is there. All you what you're really trying to do is get rid of the bullshit, not get find your voice. Get rid of all the fake, you know, rhythmic, you know, crap that you do in your I, I, some people do rhythm and they do it well. But I'm saying what I mean is don't be somebody else don't be like people will call me up when i was booking letterman and say hey you know um i have a comedian and she's another sarah silverman i'm going well then i should book you're telling me i should book sarah silverman we already have a Sarah. yeah silverman. so we, we want you know the most important thing is to be you on stage doesn't mean you can't be gilbert Gottfried and be brilliant or you know be a character and be brilliant uh you know, but underneath all of it the the common denominator is honesty vulnerability uh, and the truth, right? Um, and I, I just briefly, because I know I know we are up, up against time. But uh, Stephen Wright, uh, I want to have him on the program. And one of the things I want to say to him when he was blowing up, because I was touring at the time, mm-hmm. and every in every and I'm, you know, on the days off we would go to comedy clubs, and in every city I would go to, there would be a comedy club with a guy basically trying to be Stephen Wright. Right. And, and the instinct is, if you're a comedy fan, is to try to be like the people you admire and be like that and, and try to not to do that, consciously say, I don't want to be Doug Stanhope. I don't Everybody, wanna... when I first started, I was George Carlin. When uh, Jerry Seinfeld started, he was Robert Klein. Right. When Chris Rock started, he was Eddie Murphy. That's what we do as comedians. We act like the comedians we, we love. Because we don't know better. We can only see out our eyes. We're not looking at ourselves. But once you, it clicks, and you feel, once it clicks, then like a river flows. And you get to realize, oh, this is who I am. And the more you're who you are, the better you are as a comedian. I just want to share one thing because the baseball thing got me laughing. Yeah. Joe, List, Joe List is one of my favorites. Oh, and he uh, he has been doing some play by play, not in the booth. He brings his he's sitting in a, in a fan in the audience in, in, <laughs> in the in the stands, and he's got his camera and he does play by play. But what you were talking about, he one of the things he showed was the the scoreboard says cheer, and the audience goes crazy. And he's like, these stupid people don't even know what they're cheering for. They're just the sign says cheer, and they're doing it. Exactly. <laughs> and and you know they have that like a uh, digital like the cl- the thing that's like it's like you know more cheers. That's digital. That's already programmed. So right. you, you you know even if you don't cheer, that's going to make that 
it's going to sweep across like you are cheering. Yeah, you know, so, that, that's what happens in in the world where we're so afraid to be ourselves because growing up again, we're told that we're no good. We, if you watch advertising or listen to a lot of you know extreme polit uh, religions and politics, it's all about you're a piece of shit, and we have the product that's going to make you better. Right. And in reality, what you're saying is, look, you know, you're you're a sheep, and we need you to be a sheep so that we can sell more you know, this whatever garbage. Well, great stuff, man. Great, uh, great insights from you. I appreciate you being on here. I want to plug I'll see you in. A, I'll see you in a couple of days, right? Yeah. Sticks and Stones Comedy Club dot uh, com. You can go there and buy tickets for Tuesday night. Now I'll be uh, giving away a couple of tickets uh, uh, on, on the weekend here. And uh, Monday night is a seminar uh, slash Q and A with the yeah, family. I think it's at four p.m. at the library in South. Four p.m. Wow, I, yeah. I, I, it's a good thing you told me that because I was yeah. planning on coming out. In the evening. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, look forward to meeting you in person and, and seeing seeing the show Tuesday night. So thanks right. for thank being you here. So much, and mine, Doug. yeah, thank you. Bye for All now. Right, be well. Bye bye. Eddie Brill, folks. Uh, great stuff there. Um, Powerful stuff, both from uh, Mike Binder and Eddie Brill this morning. I think uh, we've we've done some good stuff. If you're a young comic, pay attention. Pay attention. Uh, that's all I got to say. Uh, and I kind of I exposed myself here a little bit this morning. <laughs> I'm not happy about that. Anyway, I'm just going to take a really quick break. I'll be back with you to wrap things up in just one minute. Uh, in the meantime, watch this. Hey, yeah. Mind dog, yeah, yeah, mind dog. If you're ready for some action, this dog sure to keep you laughing. Let's go. Mind dog, yeah, yeah, mind dog. Don't roll, don't play fetch. Only here to keep your interest. Uh, this is the show that you've been missing. Full of comedians and musicians. Plenty of interviews, entertaining. Keep it funny, there ain't no debating. Uh, so authentic and straight raw. Pushing the limits when they talk. Doing it live when they stream. Mind dog, TV, yeah. So crazy, getting intense. The dogs are wild, better beware before you hop over the fence. <laughs> mind dog, yeah, yeah, mind dog. If you're ready for some action, this dog sure to keep you laughing. Let's go. Mind dog, hey, mind dog. Don't roll, don't play fetch. Only here to keep your interest. Let's go. Come have coffee with the dog. Come have coffee with the dog. Indeed. I appreciate everybody being here this morning. A good show for me. I think, you know, it's kind of uh, information that I want to help get out there. Great guests this morning, uh, Mike Binder and Eddie Brill. Uh, and I hope you got a lot out of it. Please do share this stuff uh, and let people know about it. If you're on Rumble, um, let me know. You can write to me at info, info at minddogtv.com. Actually, if you're on any platform, you can write to me at info at minddogtv.com. Let me know your thoughts uh, about this, but especially the people who can't uh, reach us in the comment section. I believe there's lots of them. I know there's a lot on Liar 365 and iHeartRadio because I hear from them every day, and you'd be surprised uh, the stuff people write to me about. Generally, people don't write unless... They're angry about something I said, or they want to disagree with me. But I appreciate all your thoughts. It would be nice to get some supportive uh, email every once in a while. Sticks and Stones Comedy Club, go there. Stand up world comedy for for uh, Mike Binder's stuff. Uh, appreciate you being here this morning. Let me take this out of the out of the banner there. Sticks and Stones Comedy Club uh, dot com, and hopefully. Uh, 
we'll be getting some stuff from JT Habersat and Eddie Peppertone about their upcoming uh, performance at uh, Sticks and Stones. But anyway, it's a Friday. Uh, your issues with Andy Day, you guys go check out. I got to get Andy back on the program again. I know uh, he's been busy with some stuff. And, he, of course, he's got his own podcast, Issues with Andy, every Friday. Uh, but it's been a year ago today we had just Paul and Andy on on the same show. And that was a, a really good one. That came up in my Facebook memories this morning. That's why I know it. Anyway, that's the show for today. Thanks for being here. Have a great weekend. I got canceled. Uh, not cancel culture canceled. My gigs got canceled because of some stuff that I'm not supposed to talk about. Uh, but I have no gigs this weekend, and it's kind of uh, a little bit depressing. I don't know what to do with myself when I don't have gigs. Both gigs got canceled for political reasons, not uh, because we've been done anything outrageous or anything. I it's about as much as I can say. Uh, please don't uh, tell the world about. Uh, my exposing myself here <laughs> today on uh, what I've been up to lately. I will share it publicly when the time is right, but not not just yet. So kind of keep that close to the vest, even though I spilled the beans. It's kind of <laughs> it's already out there. You can't put that genie back in the bottle. Anyway, have a great weekend. Don't forget to turn on your radio. Of course, uh, visit Gov's Comedy as well as uh, uh, Six and Stones Comedy Club. See you guys. Bye for now.
listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.